Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Secret Library Podcast is brought to you via listeners like you through the Secret Library Podcast Patreon. You can check it out and become a supporter at patreon.com slash secretlibrary. This is episode 133 of the Secret Library Podcast. My guest this week is Caroline Wright. She is one part ordered editor and one part wandering artist. These qualities, along with an insatiable appetite, combine to support her food editorial career as a cook, author, and stylist. She completed formal training at La Varenne Cooking School, which introduced her to the culinary language and skills she honed as a food editor at Martha Stewart's Everyday Food for two years. For the following decade, Caroline worked from her home kitchen in Brooklyn and various test kitchens in New York as a freelance food editor, stylist, and busy cook. In addition to her work as a cookbook author, Caroline collaborates with photographers and editors as a recipe developer, food stylist, and culinary writer. She now lives in Seattle with her husband and two boys. I could not be more excited to share this episode with you. While we've had people on who've written books about food, that even those that included recipes in the past, we've never had someone on who's created a full-color, photography-based, beautiful, lush, coffee-table-style cookbook. And I was really, really interested in diving into this topic with Caroline. In addition, the way she developed her career is really unusual because she came up in a particular way, and then after dealing with a health crisis, which she continues to deal with, it's changed her perspective on work, writing, and books completely. I could not have been more inspired after speaking to her. She had me smiling the whole rest of the day, and I know she will for you as well. So I'm delighted to welcome Caroline Wright to the show. Hi, Caroline. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And I have to say, this is the first time I've ever gotten to say hi, Caroline, on my own show. (laughs) How funny. Thanks for having me. It's really fun to have you. So... I am excited not only to have another Caroline on the show, who is a Caroline and not a Carolyn, as we clarified before we started, but (laughs) we haven't really talked about cookbooks. And that's such a huge part of the book world. And it's often the books that people are most excited to give and receive and look at. And, but we haven't talked about the production of them. And so, and not only that, you have a story with food and cooking that's I think quite a lot more profound than many people do. So I wanted to get in that also is to how food and cooking can really change your life. But let's start with the cookbooks and say, you know, how did you begin working with food and producing cookbooks? Well, um, I guess I had a, everybody I feel like gets into cookbooks in a slightly different way. So I used to think that I was abnormal, but I actually think that everyone has their own unique story. Um, I started on the food editorial side, which is a cool job that no one really knows exists. (laughs) So, um, I used to write for food magazines. I used to work for Martha Stewart for um, a couple years at the beginning of my career. And I 
well, even before that, I went to a culinary school that kind of produces people like me, um, food editors under Anne, Will Anne Willen. She's a very, very prolific, incredible uh, cookbook author. And so basically what you do in exchange for your learning, you work on her cookbooks. So that was kind of already in my, you know, skin, I guess, as an early food editor. And then um, I went straight to Martha Stewart after that, lived in New York for a while, and then um, was a freelancer after a couple of years with her, which was enough. <laughs> but um, so I guess cookbooks have always kind of been the lens through which I see my career. I just always thought I would end up there. Um, so I was kind of always open to that. Um, and then the real story is, is after I was laid off of Martha, at Martha Stewart and was a freelancer, I didn't really like, you know, I was too young to really have too much of a food perspective. And I didn't have a lot of like a, a great platform or a story or anything of my own, which is very important. Um, so all of my, you know, mentors and things all told me to write food blogs because at the time that was like kind of still a new thing. Um, like and Twitter. then at what, at what point in time was this? Uh, oh, dates aren't my strong point. Um, <laughs> I would say maybe like 2008. Yeah. That sounds about right. That's a hot, so, hot point for blogging. Yeah, totally. Um, so I started this blog and it basically involved me, you know, finding my own food voice and, you know, inviting all my 20 something friends up into my tiny apartment in Brooklyn. And we would like just eat all the time. And I blogged every day. That was like, it was really intense writing a new recipe every day is, is not uh, a small thing. So I just was like overflowing with food and all of my like poor actor friends were over all the time and I was cooking all the time. Um, and so then I did end up getting really, really busy as a freelancer. And I decided to like close part of my blog down or maybe do a little less after a full year. And to sort of commemorate that, cause I'm a little bit nostalgic, I decided to turn part of it, in, the most like popular part of my blog, I decided to turn into sort of a zine. Mm. The column was $20, 20 minute meals. And so I kind of just wanted to like make this little thing that my, I could give to my friends who had come over for dinner and, you know, whatever tied up that way. And then I started teaching classes on that self-published zine at a place in Brooklyn. So Brooklyn, all this is very Brooklyn. It's I'm very, so very great. <laughs> um, uh, so, and yes, I have very thick glasses. If everyone wants a picture, we're both um, wearing but, really pretty cool glasses right now. I have to yeah, say. Yeah. Yeah. So just so you get the real hipster vibe. Yes. That was kind of what it was like. But, um, so I was teaching classes in Brooklyn on this little like self-published thing. And, uh, I, was just, that's what it was. And then actually my editor discovered the book the day I was moving to Dallas. So I was moving out of New York um, because I had gotten unexpectedly pregnant by my husband um, who had moved <laughs> to Dallas. And so I was like, well, I can't live in New York and raise a baby by myself. Um, and I was working as a TV producer at the time. So I was like, this is not a job Great I can do. Great job for a young parent. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So um, that is very late in with Really sarcasm. flexible really hours, you know, no problem. 
no pressure, you know, very good work-life balance. No stress <laughs> at all. Yeah. Um, so basically I was moving to Dallas and I decided that, you know, weirdly in my head, I'd always said that when I started to have kids, I wanted to have a cookbook career. And then as soon as I turned my phone on in Dallas, I had this book deal in my email um, from that crazy zine whole situation. My editor found it. She wanted to produce it in the next three months, was which was exactly when my baby was due. It was totally That's amazing. Nice. So that is this. So to answer your question, that is how I got into cookbooks. <laughs> totally easy to replicate. No problem. Yeah, totally. No, I mean, so I guess, um, I, I guess what I tell when I, people ask me advice, what I say is, is like, you know, in terms of food, find the most professional places that you can, you know, write recipes for, do it all the time. Um, and just like, don't stop because there are just a lot of people out there doing it all the time. And, you know, it's, it's highly competitive. Just like, I mean, you, you said it yourself. It's like people want to pick them up, the cookbooks up, and there's been a recent high, very high bar for cookbooks, you know, like the photography and everything has really changed in the past, definitely decade. I would even argue the last five years has been a really big, um, change in cookbooks, like the requirement for the types of stories, everything has to be really, really authentic and in depth and, um, including the photography and everything. So it's not, it's not something that you can just say like, Oh, I'm a good cook. I can do it. You, you really have to think like a business person, like, you know, um, writing recipes, having exposure that way. If you're into food styling, that's another element, but really that's a totally separate job. So, the mistake I have made in my career is trying to do too much. I think, um, you know, really focusing on the thing that you are really good at, but also are really passionate about. That's, that's the best. Um, so I would say just pick the thing that you're most passionate about and that you're, I mean, whether or not you're best at it is kind of, it's sort of irrelevant because if you're passionate about it, it doesn't matter and talent and things like that grow. But I think that if you do that as often as you can, people will will see you eventually. <laughs> and, and, you know, you have to have an agent and all these things. But unfortunately, the moment that you get these agents and you only get basically one shot to get in front of these people and you have to have a lot of stuff to show them. And they, you know, so working on your own is how that happens, you know, so Yes, having high profile things are helpful, but it doesn't always have to be high profile. You know, you can have a dossier of things that you've worked on that you're really proud of and that really speak to what you're about that don't have to be published by the New York Times or something like that. That that's helpful and that's great, but that's already kind of building a platform. I'm talking about someone who's starting from like truly nothing. Um but cookbooks uh you know, so I came from the food editorial route. A lot of people come from just writing blogs or having a very strong food vision of their own and they're not professionals, which I think has done a lot of really interesting things to the industry. Um, cause I actually feel like in a way, because I came from food editorial, I was a little bit handicapped in having a food voice because I'm a generalist. I can cook anything and you know, I can, 
basically sell the idea or the utility of anything. So it means that I don't end up personally having a lot to say, um, which is ironically where the like health piece that you touched on, um, that has kind of given me a very strong food perspective, um, which has been kind of lovely in my personal life. It really feels like I'm cooking for a real reason. Um, well, I don't think it's, it's amazing because I think that the only other person we've had on who's talked about food is April Pivoto of gluten is my bitch and sort of at a, at a less extreme level, there was a way in which food change was not optional and I think oh, yeah. and her style was more like, again, a blog coming into food, but it was more of the food memoir with recipes included rather than the kind of coffee table presentation that you've got with the obvious Martha Stewart influence of the gorgeous photography. Um, but I'm wondering if you can share a little bit about what happened with you with food, because I think for both of you, the I don't think either of you would have chosen the health challenge that you were hit with in particular yours? Um, no, definitely not. Um, so for me in 2017, I was diagnosed, I was like feeling funny, whatever. Um, and then found out that I had a gigantic brain tumor, um, in my frontal lobe. Like I was having seizures and stuff and I didn't really know about it because I, I have a type of seizures that I'm not like shaking on the ground or anything. Um, it's just like, I kind of check out for a minute and that was, and I just thought they were panic attacks. And like, I don't know, I lead a really busy life. I'm cooking all the time. I, I just, it's not that I didn't notice. I knew something was up, but I just was like, oh man, I'm really stressed. And it was kind of around the holidays. It was after I turned in the manuscript for my second book, Catalan food. Um, so I didn't really, I mean, I thought that it was weird, but I just thought like, well, I've also never put myself under this much stress before. So maybe it's just that, you know, I, I didn't know anyway. So I was diagnosed with this gigantic brain tumor and the brain tumor tumor actually did turn out to be cancerous, even though they, you know, told me that it wouldn't be because I'm so young and everything like that. And, um, so basically because I had a two and a four year old, no, I had a, a one and a four year old at the time. Um, no, a two and a five-year-old, sorry, <laughs> um, a two Math. and a five-year-old. Yeah. And, uh, at the time, cause this was just basically last year, um, I'd wanted to do everything I could. Like I was given certain death of a year, um, because I had, it, I, I was diagnosed with a glioblastoma, which is what John McCain recently died of. And John McCain is actually the normal, the, the more standard, person who gets a glioblastoma, like kind of like old guy, you know, had a life and then gets a terrible tumor and dies. But they usually die. People usually die six to 12 months after they're diagnosed. It's called the terminator for good reason. That's and I sound really uplifting terrified. to get that statement. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I sound very glib about it. Um, and it's not, it's, it's totally devastating and I could, I could be all dark and stuff, but I've decided really let's like not what people, what I want how I want to frame it anyway. Um, so basically I was diagnosed with this horrible death sentence and I have these two little kids. And for me, obviously food is the thing that I 
do. It's how I see the whole world. It's like, you know, I go to a new place and I eat the food. I, I make food for people I love. I give food as Christmas presents. I don't know. Food is like the only language I really speak. So for me, obviously, when you get sick, I'm going to figure out like, what the hell can I eat to, to change this for me? Cause that's the only thing, that's the only thing I could control. Cause obviously if I was going to die anyway, like I might as well throw all I've got at it. And food is one of those tools. So, um, basically I just start to think I, well, I did see a homeopath and he gave me some like very, very general, he's not, a, has nothing, no relation to food, but he gave me very, very general, like brain cancer, helpful things. Like basically like considered eating a lot of alkaline foods, like people who grow cancers tend to be acidic things that everyone's heard, but like, it didn't really mean anything to me. And I actually kind of used to make fun of as a food person. Cause I was like, that's not people's pH. It's not a thing. Um, but so then I started getting really into this and, uh, basically exploring, you know, um, anti-inflammatory diets and things like that. Cause I personally believe that like most people walking around are fighting off, you know, rogue cancer cells all the time. Everybody is having, has cancer cells dividing in their body, but your body recognizes them and kills them. So obviously something was going on in my body that wasn't able to like, something went terribly awry basically. So I was wanting to give my body the best, like the cleanest slate, not fighting anything else, like, you know, not fighting any rogue food that's hard to digest, no like viruses. I wanted to get rid of like a sinus infection that had been stuck, stuck around for a long time. I wanted to give my body all of the tools it could to make the chemo and radiation that I was going through to work as best as it could. That's, that was my theory. No one told me that or anything. It was just how I very strongly felt about my situation. So I started to, like I said, I got really deep into anti-inflammatory diet. And then also I started from a place because my I had this book on my shelf, um, the blood type diet. Mm. And so I just started to look into like, and some of the scientific underpinnings of that made some sense to me. So I, and I kind of saw the list of things I was supposed to avoid. And I was like, oh yeah, I mean, I've sort of noticed that, I don't know, my mouth itches when I eat this or what, you know, I, I started noticing that maybe I had already some, um, indications that I was eating some intense foods for my body. And I was just ignoring it because that was, I was, you know, hopped up on sugar and all this stuff all the time because of my job, which is, you know, then you learn like, sugar and gluten are actually pretty aggressive ingredients. And I'm not making any claims. I think that people who don't have health problems, like I think everything in moderation and everything like that, but I did have health problems and I wasn't in moderation in any way, shape or form on all of these ingredients, um, because of my job. So I decided to entirely cut out gluten, sugar, coffee, chocolate, um, pork because it's, it's a highly acidic meat, um, corn potatoes. So that's the other challenge about being gluten-free is that I'm not only like gluten-free now I'm kind of, I'm grain-free more because I can't really eat like gluten substitute things. Cause those things are like, Oh, like here's a plate of polenta or here's a, you know, meat and meat and mashed potatoes. I don't eat those things. Um, so that, again, that was my theory is like, if digesting a potato is hard for your system, why would I eat a 
potato, you know, like why, when it's going through other stuff, that was just sort of my love letter to my body. (laughs) And I mean, I, I immediately lost 40 pounds. Whoa. Yeah. And, uh, I was not like, I mean, I don't know if this is voodoo or what, but I mean, I was supposed, I was warned that like radiation, I mean, I was going through the hardest hitting radiation that I could. I actually was taken to the level of grays, which is the unit of radiation, um, that ends up like just before, uh, what is it? Um, where your brain starts to deteriorate. Like I'm right at that, uh, right at that level. So I'm saying like, I was going through hard, hard treatment and everyone was warning me like, oh, you're going to get exhausted. Everyone gets depressed. You're not going to be able to get out of bed. And like, you're going to have all these crazy rashes and all this stuff. And I, I actually was completely symptomless to the point that my doctors were like, uh, that's, you know, kind of weird. You're doing, your blood levels are of a normal person's like we can tell that you're going through something. Cause when you compare them over time, there are some slight changes, but it's, we're not, you're not where we expect people. Part of that obviously is that the people that they're comparing me to are like in their seventies probably. And right. I was 30, 32. Um, so that was a big piece of it. Um, but I really do think that my diet and what I was doing with my homeopath, in addition to all of the things that they were doing for me, that the Western doctors, um, I think it had a lot to do with my success. And then, so now I, here I am almost two years, my two year, um, anniversary of my diagnosis is in February. And, you know, they told me I was only going to live a year. So I don't know. I'm having a real big party. <laughs> I think that's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's my relationship to food. So, I mean, it basically in the beginning when I was diagnosed, I was like, I don't give a shit what that means for my career, because what's a career if you're dead, you know, like it, it doesn't career wasn't even, even though it's so sad and being a cookbook author is like everything to me. Um, it's still, I mean, I was focused on my family and like also just trying to have a bit of reality. Like I was just surviving at that point. So for me, I was like, well, let's figure out what food means to me in a professional way. Like if I have a profession, um, basically is the deal I made with myself. And so now actually, ironically, I'm there. Um, so recently to answer that question, I've been writing on my blog a lot more again, sort of same reasons of why I turned to it years and years ago after Martha, I was sort of trying to find my voice and trying to develop a community around this new way of eating, um, that I have. It's just, it's a journey. It's very cheesy to say, but it really is. Um, and then also my most popular book is this cake book, um, called cake magic. It's my second book. Um, ironically, so the premise of the whole book is you make a at-home box mix that you change, like you tweak in slight ways to make basically over 110 cakes. But just like, you know, it's the, it's a really interesting sort of choose your own adventure of a cake book. You like look at the photo of the cake that you want to make and then it tells you which layer cake, which, um, layer cake flavor, what, um, syrup to put on it and then what frosting. And so, um, anyway, but basically it's all sugar, sugar, gluten, gluten, lots of chocolate, you know, all the things I, I know, don't I was eat. like, Oh boy, you're not, you're not <laughs> turning to that one these days. <laughs> No. And, and, and it was making me sad because I was still getting like emails from people, you know, it's still like, I'm very proud of this project. It was like, it's, it's 
very empowering book for new bakers. It's like, I really believe in that concept, but I, I couldn't even like, I can't eat any, any of it. And like, you know, it just doesn't make sense. So, um, I wrote this piece for food 52 about this cake that I came up with, um, for my first, and when I hit the date that they said I wouldn't live past last year. And then I like, I don't know, a couple months ago, I was thinking like, well, why have one cake? Like, why couldn't I make a cake magic mix that's grain, grain and refined sugar free? Like, why couldn't I do that? It totally would work. And then I could have over 110 cakes. Like, so I'm adapting the whole book to be able to be used by my way of eating now. And yes. I'm not, yes, I know. Right. It's a lot of work. As a gluten free like, person <laughs> who cannot eat gluten, I am really excited for this book. It's, it's very exciting. So it's not going to, it's just going to be an official addendum to the book workman. My publisher decided to support it. And it's like, they're going to lay out a PDF. That's exactly the same as what's in the book. So people who have the book would just print out the PDF and just like basically stick it in their, their book. But I'm in January, I'm doing a coordinated, uh, like website launch of the, of the recipe sort of kind of like a book launch, but just for this one recipe that changes the whole book. That's uh, very exciting. Um, it on like cookinglight.com and foodnetwork.com and, um, food 52 and my blog. So I'm really excited about it. It's gonna be really awesome. That's so amazing. I mean, it's amazing for a number of reasons. Obviously the passing an anniversary where people tell you you're not going to live past and having a cake to celebrate that is incredible. And the other thing I think it brings up is regardless, I was talking to a friend earlier today, actually, about people who are really perfectionistic and then can get stuck. Um, he works in the music industry, so it's a little bit different. But similarly, but talking about people who get to this point of like, oh, later, this will be better and it'll be ready. Or what if my career changes and I'm writing this kind of recipe? And then uh, what if I what if I change what I'm doing? And then it's not right. Or I, I you know, and then you never start. And here's an oh. example of a book that you can't eat a single recipe in it, and it's still getting a big launch and you're able to adapt it, which I think is awesome. Well, and what's funny is, is you literally just spoke to my former life. Like I was a hundred percent that person. And with recipes, you know, it is, it's one of those things that you have to like, let it go at some point, you know, like you have to believe that this thing that you're putting out in the world is as perfect as, as it's going to be. And I used to be very, very hard on myself about that. And it was very hard for me to let things go. And now not that, not to say that I'm like not a perfectionist, I still have really high standards and everything. But, um, I just, I recognize like, I don't know, the bigger picture of everything, almost dying really likes puts a lot of things into perspective, including just, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I think, yeah, I'll go, I'll take it back. Um, yeah, I think the thing about like life or death is always going to trump cookies. Yes. I mean, but though when you, but when the timeline is long enough, it's funny, it does circle back around again, because like, once you do become, you know, kind of normalized into society and such, again, you do deserve something to celebrate with. And if your perspective is food, like mine is, I, I've mean, I've been pondering that particular thing. Cause it doesn't mean that like, I'm 30, what am I? I'm turning 35 soon, which is a big deal. It's very exciting. I didn't think that that was going to happen. Um, 
but so what I'm 35 and like what I never eat sugar or anything like that again in my whole life. And the answer, I'm okay with the answer being yes, but I'm not okay with the answer of being like, well, I don't get a birthday cake or I don't get like hot chocolate. I, you know, I have to think of something that lets me like sit down with my kids and feel special. And like, I'm involved in, you know, whatever it is, their birthdays or Christmas, you know, these th place, these times where we had these like rituals surrounding sugar essentially. So, uh, and sugar and gluten. Um, so basically I'm coming up with the substitutions for the ceremony of that, even if it's not, I mean, I'm, I'm never going to have chocolate again. I'm never going to have re refined sugar again and that's fine. But so I'm figuring out the things that replace the, those things. So I, I think that the thing that's really so important about this is that there are so many people, especially nowadays, when we know things about food allergies that we didn't know before, like as someone who had symptoms for a really long time and people just kept saying, oh, you have kind of a weak stomach. Right, and not knowing right. that it was because of gluten, you know, for years and years and years. And then the the early experience of, of not eating it, feeling a thousand times better, not being sick anymore, not having migraines multiple times a week and all of the things that I was having. But then the sort of trade-off of feeling left out and going out to eat and, and having this experience of people eating beignets or whatever. I mean, like, oh, <laughs> right. oh you know. <laughs> It's like the LA equivalent of, uh, of the Brooklyn, you know, baked good and just feeling like, really? am I going to feel like a freak forever? And thankfully there are so many options nowadays that there weren't before, but it's really emotional and it's a really big deal to be able to eat something that you enjoy that feels special. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. To not feel left out. And I mean, so yeah, it's, I feel like we've really strayed from how I got into cookbooks, but it's great. But I think it matters. <laughs> it's why. I think the no, why yeah, is, yeah. is essential. Absolutely. Um, so I feel like the, yeah, having the things to celebrate with and feeling involved and part of a community and even that, the, that, I mean, what is a platform? I guess that is, that is your voice. If, if you're talking about like the industry part of it. Yeah. I mean, having a voice and finding, um, your perspective and standing behind it and, you know, believe, believing in it. And, and that's the thing is like, I really do think that there's a piece that the most interesting stories to be told and the level of competition that is required to publish a book these days um, also feeds into this is the most interesting stories to be told are the ones that are like really honest and, you know, come from a place sort of just like this one where it's like, I was, I was down and out. And, and even more than that, I was like, had a death sentence and I'm not even, I'm not claiming, I feel very uncomfortable I've had a very difficult time with me personally and my food journey and like deciding if I would write an anti-inflammatory cookbook or something like that. I feel very uncomfortable with that because the commodity of hope. I, so where I'm coming from is I was diagnosed with like basically the worst cancer that you, one of the worst cancers that you can get bar none, like total, there's an a hundred percent percent recurrence rate with my cancer. Like it's inescapable. That's just what it is. Um, so at this point, I'm just really sort of hoping for time not to be all sad and stuff, but that's what it is. Um, and if it doesn't come back, then I'm like actually a miracle. 
but I can't, whatever, I don't know what that means. Um, so, uh, you know, the whole, the whole thing about my food career though, is, is if I do end up being cancer free for a long time. And if I do claim that it's because of my food, which I, I think it's a very complicated list of things that happened and probably a lot to do with the doc when, when it was discovered, the great doctors that I had in addition to like my very swift choices with food and the treatment that I had, I think it's like a really wide variety of things that also happened in a 32 year old body. I think that that's like a lot of things, um, very complicated to parse out. But what I'm saying is, is that the commodity of hope among cancer patients, like if I wrote a cookbook, that's like, this is going to solve your glioblastoma problems. Like that's, that's not something I'm comfortable doing. Um, and I just don't see how I could write a cookbook that unfortunately doesn't end up, even if I don't write it from that place, which I wouldn't, I don't, I mean, it's going to be, it would be mentioned in the promotion of the book. It would be, you know, it would be implied at some point. And so I have a very, I have a very difficult moral issue with what, where I am now in terms of my career. Um, I think my answer is to my, I've thought about this a lot. And I think what I would feel comfortable with is a food memoir style book back to like basically what your friend, um, the gluten is my bitch. Uh, type approach because then it's like a deeply personal story and that's like it's just my it's just what happened to me and this is how I handled it not like a prescriptive thing um which you know cookbooks especially health ones related to health um you know I feel like that ends up being part of the underpinning and I, I I can't get into that so I do feel that a little strange like growth period of my career. I, I, I feel a lot like I did when I was just out of culinary school and just like trying to figure out what I was going to do. I'm like there again, which is, is actually kind of fun. Like when do you get to like go back to your twenties and, you know, figure things out. It's I, and I mean, and also do it with like a husband with a job, you know, like it's not as gritty as it looks like in your twenties. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's, Amazing. And I think it's really satisfying to be able to reinvent based on what matters now. I mean, you used a a word early on, which I'm kind of dying to unpack a little bit of, you know, that cookbooks have to be authentic these days. And yet, I mean, I feel like that word is now a buzzword. And I also feel like there's also this that could happen. Like if you wrote a book about, you know, like a coffee table style book with like recipes that helped me, you know, survive a death sentence or whatever the title would be. And I can see the press releases and I can see the event and I can see the hors d'oeuvres and the whole thing that I I can understand why you're trying to avoid it because it's really easy to sell a book with that as the pitch. People will go nuts and not wanting to be the center of that is completely fair. And at the same it's time, so, it, it, it's not so much the, the, it, it just, because it makes like, it, it makes really creepy personal things like very, like, you know, how long I live, right. that, that will be, that, that becomes in question. And then that's something that I, it's part of your uh, brand then, which is weird. And right, you right. don't want that. You don't want to be like the creator of another Steve jobs who makes choices. Like I'm going to follow these recipes and that's going to be fine, you know? And totally. That's totally. yeah. That's a lot of responsibility to take on. And I, I, and I just, 
I have met too many, you know, it is such a humbling experience. Like it's, it's one thing to relay this story, but to actually like have sat in rooms with people going through radiation and like seeing people and what their lives are like. And like, it is devastating. It truly is like, you know, the dregs of humanity and what people are doing to put their lives together. And and I've seen a lot of people and what's weird is being a person with a very intense cancer. And I wrote a lot about it during the time I wrote kind of a memoir for my boys that I did as a blog. And, um, so a lot of people followed that. And so because I was at the center of that in a very tender and vulnerable place, I got a lot of people's stories of like young parents dying. And so a lot of people I've known a lot of people who have not survived and they've, they've, you know, tried and they've been like handsome, kind, nice people. And, you know, that you'd think like, Oh, that doesn't happen to people that, you know, and it actually really does happen to a lot of people. You might just not have known one yet, but so that's what I'm saying is like, I have friends who've, who've died. I've, I've had like, I've sat in waiting rooms with people. It's just, it's, there's too much humanity there. And it is so real for so many people that I can't like, you know, slap a brand new label on it and sell it. You know, I just can't. Um, so the only way that I would be able to do that, I think is to tell my story from my perspective and not make any sort of, claims about it, I guess, you know, um, yeah, if, absolutely. It was just, if it was just a memoir, you know, like my crazy story, weird, you know, <laughs> like, I think that would be great. Actually. I think that yeah. would be a great book. I'm working on it actually, but, um, I'm excellent. Bad and cakes. <laughs> so I, there's a lot keeping me busy. I don't days. know which one I want more. <laughs> I mean, I think they both are very exciting. Oh, well, you'll get cake soon. And then, you know, I have the two kids. <laughs> right. Just those two kids. They don't take yeah, up any know. time. No, no biggie. No, no. Center of my world and everything. Yeah. I I think it's I think it's really so hopeful to look at, you know, how books can change people and, and how you share them. And I think it's really refreshing to hear somebody really think about the responsibility of putting a book out and what kind of message you're communicating and, and what that means. Cause I think there is a lot that I see out there. And one thing that I really care about is people really getting to tell stories that matter and sort of as the antidote in many ways to seeing a lot that's like, oh, here's the new hip thing. And it's like, there's a bunch of trendy books that are following this same trend and everybody wants to read them. And the first one is really good. And then you see like 15 versions of the same book because it sells well. I'm not naming any names, but you know what I mean? And um, yeah, totally. And to, to look at like, it's, I think it's tough because people are like, oh, we want something authentic, but yet they want to sort of remake the movie again once right, they get right. something that does, thinking that it was that topic that was what did it, not the fact that it was somebody's real story and their real experience that made it right. really enjoyable. Well, I, I totally agree. I mean, so also when I was sick, it's, it's kind of a joke. You can see my personality. Um, so I was like, you know in treatment and stuff. But like I said, I was pretty, I didn't have very many symptoms, not symptomatic. Um, but so I wrote two children's books during that time and I self-published both of them. Um, so I also have this like background of really like you believing in the way that things should be told and, you know, 
I like having my hands on the details of everything and I have very strong opinions about them. So I, I, there's that piece too. The, the self-publishing thing was like, um, you know, self-publishing my first cookbook, which was my foray into cookbooks. But then when I thought that my cookbook career was over, I was like, well, I have these good ideas. Maybe I'll self-publish these books. And so I did some Kickstarters and that whole, you know, shebang, um, which was also really eye-opening. And, um, you know, I, I now have a cookbook. I mean, I have a children's book coming out in the summer of this year, uh, from random house from one of the books that I, I self published. Um, so that was really, really cool too. I think it, I think this is like story after story of like, I'm like, yes, (laughs) nobody can see me like shaking my fist in the air. But I do think there's, there's this whole thought that if you make a decision early in the process of being a writer, it's going to be set in stone and you're going to have to keep doing the same thing forever. Or that, that making a decision to put one book out is going to prevent you from having other options. When I have found so many times that the opposite is true. Well, and like what, I mean, I don't know what is being a writer. It, it, for me, what's funny is, is like, I always, I, because of my career, I always identified myself as a cook and a writer. Like I thought that they were like 50, 50, I don't know. And in any given room, I would like identify with one more than the other. So like, I, I don't know. I just never really owned the writer piece of it. And then last year when I wasn't really cooking so much for myself, cause I was pretty like down and out and focused on like going to yoga and shutting my life down and like drinking water all the time. And I'm still like that, but, um, it was really new and like a total about face of my life stripping everything away and changing everything on a dime. Um, that now that my, my life has come back to be a little bit more normal at that time. I was, like I said, I wasn't cooking. So I was writing a lot more and I was getting sort of attention for my writing, which, you know, I, it's, it's, it just, it just dawned on me like, Oh, actually like I am a writer. That's weird. (laughs) Coincidental (laughs) kind of, you know, Um, I mean, I've, you know, I, I personally have always identified with a writer, but I never like, I always like leaned on my food as like, I was telling a food story. So it was just like relaying the information and like, yeah, I can string together sentences, but I had never really like dug deep and written like the things that I was writing last year, I guess. So that was an interesting experience. So what I was saying to you, what you commented on is like, what is being a writer for me? It's just like part of me, like and I am a lot of things and I do a lot of things. So the career piece, like letting go of what a career has to look like, that has been a challenge and one that is so ego driven though, you know, like, you know, like what you think being a cookbook author has to look like this. Firstly, it doesn't look like as it, as is with everything in your life, you, you have this fantasy of what something is and then you get into it and you're like, Oh yeah, going on book tours, staying in a holiday Inn, waking up at four in the morning and getting on a plane and going on to a morning show and like being shoveled to another place. Like it's just not, gl- things aren't as glamorous as they look like on mo- at, on movies or whatever. And so I think that we have these narratives that we tell ourselves, including about ourselves and about our careers and things. And it's just, you have to let go of that because it's just not, a, it's also not a modern way to look at a career. Like I feel like people can have many different aspects to their lives that all can make money and 
isn't that like basically what a career is, you know? So just, I don't know, to let go of, of like the only thing that is standing in the way of success in a lot of ways, whatever that looks like is, I mean, getting a book published is already pretty successful. Um, so it, you just have to like redefine, like just be honest and, and try not to beat yourself up over it because from where I stand, there's just like no, no real reason to make it all horrible. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I just life is too short. It's <laughs> too short. It's too short. And and just because it doesn't look like the fantasy doesn't mean you did it wrong. No, no, not at all. Because also, I mean, I'm the people that I'm friends with that I've always compared myself to like really successful cookbook authors. There's always going to be someone out there that like you feel like you're doing a lot of the same things as but yet they're like, you know, super famous and making a ton of money and you just aren't. Um, so that's always been my role is like I'm the underdog and the sidekick and everything, but I'm totally cool with it because it also has given me the freedom and realizing like, like for example, Catalan food is a book that I like really bled to make. Like I, I fought really hard and there could be like a whole other podcast on on (laughs) all of that. Um, that's, that book has a pretty intense story behind it. But, um, anyway, that was the book that I really felt that like, Oh, I should be making all along. It's, it's the coffee table book. It's the like, you know, $35 Christmas present, amazing photography, award-winning type book. And you, you realize actually going through that whole process, like, Oh, it still is just a commodity to the, to the editors. Like it's still going to get edited to something that you like. It's, it's not going to be everything you thought it was going to be. And, and it's beautiful. I'm completely obsessed with how it turned out. I, I think it's wonderful, but I'm just saying the reality of anything versus the idea of anything is always going to be different. And in, in writing, I feel like writers have a view of what careers and writing is. And then editors have a completely different view of the very same subject. So you realize that nothing is like completely your own in a weird way. Um, everything boils down to like what the audience is, what the readership is for a certain thing. Like nothing can be completely set on a table by itself. You know, it all plays with all these other complicated details, which is why you have a podcast about it. Exactly. Great. (laughs) It totally is. Well, it has been so awesome talking to you. It's been such a treat. And I hope you do come back and tell us about more stuff, um, potentially food memoir and and how it goes with the cakes and everything. Uh, But it's been a joy to have another Caroline and have this conversation. Well, thank you, Caroline. It's been lots of fun. Thank you so much for listening to the Secret Library podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this week's show. You can keep the conversation going by leaving a comment in the show notes at secretlibrarypodcast.com or visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash secretlibrarypodcast. You can also connect directly with me on Twitter or Instagram where I'm Caro Donahue. That's at C-A-R-O-D-O-N-A-H-U-E. I look forward to chatting with you there. See you next week. Until then, happy writing.